You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, a USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Welcome to Absolute Empowerment. I'm Jeff Connors, and today we have a very, very special guest. That is Associate AD for Football Sports Performance, uh, my friend and former colleague for a number of decades, Coach Mickey Marotti. Uh, Coach, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Coach Connors. Appreciate it. Good to see you. So before we get started here, Mick, I'm going to go ahead and recognize my sponsor. Uh, we want to talk about Ed Watkins Marine. Ed Watkins Marine has two locations to serve you as they are located in Denver and Cornelius, North Carolina, in the greater Charlotte area of our state. He has fishing boats, pleasure boats, pontoon boats, center consoles, family-friendly bow riders, trailers, engines, and UTVs. He has all the brands you are seeking, Sea Pro, Suncatcher, pontoons, Tritunes, Stingray, Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury, Vexus Bass Boats, Explorer Skiffs, and more. Whether you're looking for a new boat or to repower your existing boat, Ed Watkins can help you with your boating needs. Visit them online at edwatkinsmarine.com. We appreciate Big Ed's support of the show, and Big Ed Watkins was no doubt the most enthusiastic and positive athlete I have ever coached. Thank you, Big Ed. All right, Mick, <clears throat> we're back at it, brother. Okay. If you need a boat, oh. you know where to go. <laughs> Big Ed. We're going to get you a deal on them tritunes, man, <laughs> to, to take down the Ohio River, man. I'm just thinking the same thing. There you go. Uh, Catching some catfish in the Ohio. <laughs> it's not all you're going to catch. <laughs> So, Mick, what I want to do was uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk about your career a little bit. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that you're the most successful collegiate strength and conditioning coach in the United States of America. That's that's my opinion of Mickey Marotti. I appreciate that. That's humbling. Uh, you, you have had a an unbelievable career with three national championships. Is that correct? Three. Awesome. <clears throat> So, Mick, the one thing I'm proud of as well, uh, well, a lot of things, but uh, you and I have been friends for a long time and been in this business for a long time. And, and uh, you know, we come from the same area of the country and actually played collegiate football in the same conference. Of course, you're younger than me. Uh, you know, I was, I was uh, back there right around that Jack Delaplane era. And uh, <clears throat> that's a few moments ago. So, uh, yeah, you know, we grew up in Western PA. You grew up in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. So, can you tell me a little bit about uh, young Mickey Marotti growing up in Ambridge, Ambridge, and uh, what I really want to kind of think about here is, 
what we always hear about Western PA, which is absolutely 100% true, it's blue collar immigrant experience as a microcosm of life. And uh, just uh, talk about your experience a little bit. <clears throat> no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, like you said, coach, you know, growing up in Western PA, you know, the one thing that, you know, as well as I do in this business, you know, you travel around the country, you're at this school, you're at this school, you, you come back to this school. Um, but the one thing I've never forgotten is uh, where I came from. Um, I'm proud to be um, born and raised in Western PA, proud of uh, being, you know, born and raised in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which is, for those that don't know uh, exactly where it's at, it's 15 miles uh, north on the river, Ohio River, from Pittsburgh. Uh, so it's, you know, it's kind of where the Ohio river flows North for about 30 miles. And then it kind of dips down, uh, West Virginia, Ohio, and, and takes on its way down to the, uh, Mississippi. But, you know, growing up, like you said, you know, there were so many, so many cool things thinking back and so many influences in my life. And, and one of the reasons why I do, why I coach, why I chose coaching was because, uh, you know, I grew up, I grew up without, you know, my father left our family when I was in second grade. So my mother was a you know, single parent working full time. My grandmother raised myself and my brother and sister. And, <clears throat> you know, you just had to find your way to practices and little league and pop Warner. And, you know, the coaches used to bring me, bring me home after I would find my way there. They had so much positive influence in my life. Um, I never wanted to let them down. Um, they were my father figure growing up from Pop Warner Junior High, you know, and they they kind of all came from the same cloth, you know. You know it, you know it. Maybe a little different from where you're from, but um, you know, they worked those 10, 12 hour shifts in a steel mill. Um, you come from the coal mine, coal mining regions a little bit, um, so it kind of goes together. But hard hard manual labor, hard work, hard, gritty, dirty, tough, you know, just trying to do whatever you can to support the family. And I just remember as a kid, like when I would go to my friend's house and their dads would come home. Well, first of all, at like four o'clock, you can hear the horns go off in the steel mills because it was time. Oh, yeah. It was, it was time to go home and <clears throat> there'd be a charge of, you know, men out of this steel mill holding the metal lunch boxes. It was just silver, all rusty and dirty, just heading out of there. And you could hear the horns all over the all over the all over the town. But I remember just like when the when the fathers would come home, they were so like tired and angry and ornery and just had an edge to them. And it was because you're working in a mill. Like that's that's tough work. So, you know, I think you get your work ethic. I think you get a lot of those things from how you grew up who you were around, you know, who you are, who you hang around and just hanging around all those, you know, steel workers and, you know, forgers and truck tra and all the people that are involved in just, you know, that trade of being in the steel mill, it just, you know, and obviously growing up, you know, you, we all, we both grew up with the penguins and the Steelers and the, and the pirates. I mean, you won a bunch of world championships and being a young kid like that, you always looked up to those guys. You always looked up to the, you know, Jack Lambert's and Mel Blunt's and Mike Webster's and the Steelers and the Pirates and the winners and tough and black and gold. And, you know, you could still see that emblem of that Steelers, you know, on the side of their helmet and just 
that means much more than just a, the professional football team. You know, that means like a way of life. And, you know, it's no changed doubt. obviously now, you know what I mean? It's just, my yeah. God, I remember, I remember like, you know, my mother would say, Hey, we're going to Pittsburgh. We're like, yeah, you know, you're, you're two miles out. You can't see it because of the smoke and the, and all the stuff coming from the steel mill. Like, my God, like, where are we going? But you just, I mean, in the town, in Ambridge, my wife grew up next, the next town, Baden, Beaver County. Every house was the same color. It was light to dark gray from all the, from all the soot, from all the waste, you know, all the, all the stuff coming from the, the smokestacks and, you know, blast furnace number five and J&L. You know, just, just, it was just a way of life, man. It just, it just was, but you know what? Um, they raised their families. They be- believed in tough, hard, hard work. Um, yeah. if you weren't tough, that was like the biggest compliment you can get. The only compliment you can get growing up, as you know, is, you know, being a tough guy and fighting and, you know, fighting through adversity, just the way it was. And if you weren't, Hurt and it was a bad day, man. It was a bad day. So you always wanted to make the people around your community proud for being a hard worker and being tough. I mean, I just told I was on a podcast the other day and they asked me what my favorite movie was. I mean, it's kind of not even a question. All the right hunters. I mean, <laughs> Deer Hunter for you. Yeah. All the right moves for me. And why? Because it was Western Pennsylvania. Like, yeah. Right. So. Yeah, Deer Hunter was made in Clareton. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And yeah. All the Right Moves was about my high school. Ambridge in the movie was Am Pipe. And I remember the producers in oh, the yeah. movie, they yeah. spent like a month in my high school walking around and, you know, getting the lay of the land. Don Yanessa was the head coach at Aliquippa, which was our rival. He was actually right. in a movie, Walnut Heights. So, you know, there's a lot of pride. You know that. Um you know, I, it's funny, like my kids, you know, my, my son's 30, my, my daughter's 28, they're married, they never lived in Pennsylvania, they grew up in, you know, all different places, and then you ask them where they're from, they say Pittsburgh. Right. So, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I coached in the pit one time, uh, I think that's what they called Aliquippa's field, is that right? Yeah, the pit. Yeah, you know, my dad was the head coach at Ringgold, Bell Vernon, and uh, Beth Center, and he had a couple – WPIL championships and, and a runner up. And, uh, he took all three of those schools, uh, to the WPIL finals. And, uh, and then the, the proudest moment of my life is when I was inducted into Pennsylvania sports hall of fame with my dad. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's definitely the proudest moment for me in my career. That's great. Uh, but, uh, just a few things, man, that I, I mean, uh, get me fired up talking about this stuff, you know, I worked in the steel mill every summer when I was in high school and uh, my mother was working in the steel mill. She was a secretary and she'd get me, my friends and I jobs there and we were making 10 bucks an hour in the summer in high school, but back in, you know, 1973 or four, whatever. And uh, that was a lot of money back then. And so uh, I was a big flattener helper one summer. And that was interesting because I had to guide hot titanium through these flatteners uh, you know, <laughs> then you had to flip it over and, and take it through again. So you didn't want to get crazy. your fingers caught in there. So, crazy. Uh, so yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And, uh, you know, both my grandfather's worked in the mine a total of a hundred years. 
Um, my one grandfather, 55 years, the other one, 45 years. Both of them started when they were 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I just remember you know, my grandfather, he went to work as a white man. He came back home every night as a black man, you know, so, you know, and that's, Crazy. that's the way it was. Remember, and, like, uh, when you, you would shake, like, I remember, like, the, my buddy's father, fathers, because they all worked in a mill, you'd shake their hands, like, on a Sunday when they weren't working and their hands were all like charred and, you know, just ingrained with dirt and their fingernails were, it was a, like a hundred calluses on their hands. Just my God. Yeah. <laughs> great. Great stuff. Yeah. I mean, how about the, I wanted to mention the, cause it was special to me because I spent so much time in these places with my dad, actually like the VFW, the sons of Italy, the American Legion. We had a place called the Owls club. You got the miners club. And, uh, a lot of those miners would drop in there for a boiler maker before they go down underground or maybe hit one after the, you know, their shift. And, uh, yeah, just, that's what, what I remember was, I'm glad you said that, um, the horn would go, the guys would charge out of the mill. They'd go right to the bars They'd have a beer shot of whiskey and a hard boiled egg. Remember the hard boiled eggs oh, right yeah. there in the, on the bar. And they would be there for an hour, and then they would go home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the uh, the wedding traditions or something, I always remember, you know, the big weddings with the polka dances. And, and then, uh, you know, the food is something I always uh, – I miss the food. I haven't seen rigatoni very much. And, uh, you know, you'd have chicken, you'd have cabbage rolls. The same it was the same menu at every wedding. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and you'd have the bridal dance where you chip in money. Oh, standing there, remember they, the ushers yeah. and the, the maid of honors would stand there with the with the bag, and you get to dance with the bride, and then you know the groom would carry her out of there. Yeah, yeah, Hit we the uh, honeymoon. So yeah, great we stuff. Got, we got married in the Baden Legion. It was okay, the best. The best. It's like five dollars and seventy five cents a plate. <laughs> Six twenty-five. If you wanted the roast beef, the roast, the roast beef, right there. Yeah, it was. Yeah. My was wife's funny. from Florida. She couldn't understand why I wanted to have a polka band at the wedding down in Florida. <laughs> and the first time I took her home, we were coming out of Pittsburgh Airport, got on the road. She said, uh, "Wow, there's a sign there, uh, Moon one way and Beaver the other way." She said, "What kind of towns are we going to?" <laughs> There's that one sign that says moon, moon, blue belt, Mars, red belt. And then oh, yeah. beaver, green belt. It's it's somewhere on 65, but yeah, those are good times. I'm, you know, I love going back. Great stuff, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know when you started <laughs> playing football. I mean, I started, must've been like third grade. I mean, uh, you know, we had all those, Little legs. We had this thing called the Bronson House in Washington, Pennsylvania. It was a miniature field. And all the grade schools and so forth, you know, we had a league there and we'd play each other. And I think you could get maybe three first downs and you, and you get a touchdown. Uh, but it was uh, it was full pads. And, uh, you know, you started very early with that. And I don't know. I never lost my love of football, no matter how early I started. I, I loved it every day. So, uh yeah, I started in but, third grade. Yeah. 
Beaver County, I played for the Ambridge uh, Economites. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Little bridge. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about toughness because <clears throat> I think you and I both, our coaching style, we, we believe that toughness could be developed. I'm going to speak for you on that because I really believe that's what you believe. <laughs> I believe it 100%. So, and uh, the way we grew up, we didn't have much choice, you know, but uh, I remember my dad's drills before the, before practice, uh, you know, he, going through these drills in full pads. One of them was called Bucket of Blood. The other one was the Meat Grinder. That was like Oklahoma drill, but you had to go like Oklahoma drill like six times in a row through two guys who were waiting on you. And they might bury you, but you got to get up and go to the next two. And then, uh, of course, born the ring, you know. Born the ring. So when I was at Salem, our offensive line did bowling a ring on a 50-yard line before every game with no helmets on. And uh, that kind of set the tone in the WVIAC. Nice. Uh, so uh, I love that as well. But uh, so in high school, what position did you play? So high school, I played uh, fullback. And then I played a little – they don't even have the position anymore. It was, it was like a rover. It was like the rover back, which is like an outside linebacker that would just blitz every play with the big neck roll. You know, you probably have. Yeah, monster. What I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, it yeah. was, um, like I said, it was, yeah, monster, monster back. That's what it was. Yep. Rover, yeah. monster back. Monster. Yep. I played those two. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, we played, when I was in high school, we started out in triple A back then and then we went to quad A. Um, yeah. so we had a, because Ambridge high school was, the enrollment was so big back then we had to go play North Hills and North Allegheny and Butler and Newcastle and Shaler. I mean, a little bit out of our league, my senior year, we went back and played, you know, where we should have played moon and Montour and, uh, Aliquippa and Hopewell where Tony Dorset played Dorset played, um, yeah. you know, some of those schools. So yeah, it was good. It, um, you know, I, I really believe that – I really believe when you started – again, this is back when we played, but, you know, playing Pop Warner, playing junior high, like, that was the deal. Like, you just didn't want to let somebody down. You had to go hard. You had to. You just did. No doubt. Had to. And I think that's how you develop toughness. You just – the more and more you were put in that situation, the more and more you had the ability to fight through that situation – and the more and more I think you were able to be a fighter and be a be a tough guy and, you know, never giving up because that's what the people that we were around, that's what they grew up on. That's what they were. That's who they are. No doubt. Well, uh, you ended up going to West Liberty to play ball. And, uh, of course, I had played at Salem. I had graduated like uh, 1980 from Salem. Uh, what year did you go to West Liberty? Uh, freshman 84 and then I graduated 87 or 80, yeah, 87, 84, 87. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, back then, uh, Salem would have just hired, uh, one of the Bowden, uh, yep, Terry Bowden, Terry Bowden. So yep. he had Jimbo Fisher was quarterback. Yep. They had probably three or four guys that had transferred in from like Nebraska, Florida state. Uh, they had like four or five NFL players. 
So yeah, that was um, that was a good good experience. Yeah, Moses Mobley, tight end. Yes. Yep. And uh, of course, you know, Rich Rodriguez was the head coach there also. He was. After. Yeah, I went back to get a uh, Football Lifetime Achievement Award, and they put Jimbo in the Hall of Fame the same night. He came back to be put in the Salem Hall of Fame, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's real cool. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of people don't know that uh, those famous figures were actually at uh, Salem, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. Interesting place. Yeah, very interesting. I'm not sure you had to have much more than a high school degree to get in there. So, uh, you know, fortunately I got accepted. <laughs> but it was fun. Got to play but, uh, ball, right? I went and proved myself. I had some intelligence. I went later and got a master's degree from Bucknell. So I had to redeem myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. So you played fullback there, right? I did. I okay. did. They, the, and, uh, the position is no longer. Now it's coming back a little bit, but yeah, you know, back then it awesome. was wow. I mean, and then back then it was at least in the in the West Virginia Conference, like linebackers and defensive ends were big, right? Like two forty and two fifty. Just that's all I remember. Big, and I remember we would we would run again another play that is kind of gone away is the ISO. You know, just, oh yeah. Blocking down, double teaming a nose guard, and then linebacker versus fullback, collision after collision after collision after collision after collision. Just I remember a couple times I was I forget who we were playing, I think Fairmont State, and uh it was like the third or fourth ISO in a row and in, in the second half. So it, it would have probably been like the 30th ISO uh back then. And <laughs> I would I would come to the line of scrimmage and look at the linebacker, and he would like look at me like Take a big deep breath, like, all right, here we go again. And yeah, we jog back to the huddle, and here we go again. It was just, you know, one well, of you those, must have uh, done a great job with that ISO because they're not going to be able to run unless the fullback's blocking. <laughs> no, they cannot. Absolutely. No, they cannot. It was fun. great stuff. Well, I know that uh, I read that you also had been an, uh, an All American academically. Yes. Yep. I took, uh, you know, again, that, that, that was something I learned at an early age. I just, I just felt like I never wanted to let my, my teachers down, my mom down. So I was, I buckled down in school and that was a big deal to me. Um, right. So yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. And I did want to mention, you know, and I, I really appreciate you sharing the story uh, about your dad. And I just wanted to ask you because I've encountered this a lot of times through my career in that uh, we've had we had so many kids come through uh, that were in that situation. Uh, did you find yourself counseling them at times? And did your experience provide you with a lot of insight there where you thought you could help them? Yeah, it did, Coach. Um a great deal of insight, a great deal of um, um, I thought I can impact that athlete and help them through those tough times. But the other thing was <clears throat> we've all been around some of those athletes that maybe had made that an excuse of why they did or didn't do something or, right. you know, and I, I, I wasn't playing that game because, you know, I was able to overcome and, and get through that. So, 
Yeah. You know, at that point, you got to, you know, counsel them and just like share your story and just be vulnerable and, you know, just kind of, you know, open up to them and open your heart to them. And, you know, once they hear that story with the guys that I share it with, like they look at you different. And I don't know what it is. Like most of the kids that I've, we've all had those kids that need direction, maybe came from that same family uh, circumstance. Yep they always would gravitate towards me. Even like you had your staff, you know, your, those guys would all, I don't, before I would even share that, that information. So I don't know if um, it's something, the way that I was, you know, coming off or how I was, you know, how I was perceived, but, you know, they always, always would, you know, come, you know, gravitate towards me. So it was easy to open up to those guys and just share their story. Like, look, man, that's, you can't, uh, that's not an excuse. You know, the excuses are the crutches of the uncommitted and it doesn't matter. Like you either in or you're out, you're either committed, you're not, you want to do this, you don't like this can help you or hurt you. So, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of meetings with guys like I know you have as well. I'm sure you, I'm sure they really appreciated that as well. Uh, but uh, you know, then the other side of that is, and it's one of the reasons that I started a, a website, uh, armoredlife.org because uh, I just remember so many guys that went by the wayside and uh, you know I, I just look back and think man is there something I could have done to help them I mean you know maybe over a hundred guys went by the wayside for repeatedly smoking marijuana maybe uh, I had two guys that, that got that, you know got shot and killed um, you know, yeah, you just you, want to do everything you can to save those guys. And sometimes it's just really hard. It is, you know, it's funny. Like I know we are Florida. We had a, we had a couple incidents with our, with some of our players and, you know, we kind of, you just want to help and you don't want them to be in a situation where they, you know, they can't get out of and you just try to help and you try to counsel and you just you try to give them as many chances, you know, it's hard. There's a fine line between, you know, yep. being accountable and, and uh, you know, being able to function in, in this world. So at least in the collegiate setting, you know, high, you know, high academics and, you know, big time athletics. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you, you just had to let them go. It was sad, but, you know, you just yeah. had to do it for the sake of the team, you know. Yep. And, uh yeah, before we leave this collegiate thing where we played ball, I'd like to mention our, our friend Al Johnson. Was, uh, I think Al played in that same league too, didn't he? He did. He did. He played for Tech and he played for – he played for two. Glenville. Okay. Tech and Glenville. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was Fairmont or Glenville. But uh, West Virginia Tech was interesting because the only turf field and then you had to walk up that hill to get up <laughs> oh, there and – they try. They try to kill you walking up there. So you had no energy left for the game. I remember my quads were burning. I'm like, "What are we doing yeah. here?" My, my God! And they bus up. You know, I had the bus come around. Like, you know, they're yeah. smart. That was smart. Yeah, yeah they we, always. You had know, some it's funny. Here. Yeah, big time. They had a couple NFL guys too. It's funny you bring up. You know, here's me and you talking. They've been around this business for a while. Al Johnson as well in the West Virginia Conference. Um, there's two other current strength coaches right now that went to West Liberty. Brad Bechet, who's my nephew, he's the head strength coach at Toledo, is a West okay. Liberty grad. And Ryan Russell, who's at 
uh, Missouri that used to be at Auburn. He's a West Liberty grad. Gotcha. Yeah, well, I so. can name you another one. My former assistant, Davon Gordon at Pitt. Davon was a fullback at West Liberty. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did know that. I did know that. Yeah. So he tried yeah. to follow in your footsteps. And he's a beast now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I did know that. That's right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, West Virginia great. Conference he's representing. Great coach, too. Great coach and great human being. Yeah, so uh, moving on to a little bit about the history that we had a chance to uh, get involved in early with this profession. A uh, long, long time ago, um, there's something that we got introduced to. I, I had a guy that took me to a chiropractor one day, and he said, I'm going to show you these this equipment today this chiropractor has. It's called Nautilus. I said, oh, yeah? I said, well, that'd be good. I was about in, I don't know what I was, ninth or 10th grade. Yeah, and they took me through there, and I, I felt like I was going to throw up a few times, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't end up throwing up, but. I guess that was the whole thing is a pre-fatigue where you do an isolation movement followed by, followed by a compound, compound movement, movement. Yeah. like the chest press and the shoulder deal and the whole nine yards. So, <laughs> Hey, I, I, I had the same experience. I, I had hurt my knee like in eighth grade in Pop Warner and the physical therapist was right there on Dust Avenue in Ambridge. So I go there and they do some treatment and they got, them they got my mother to sign me up for this month training and it was the hip remember the old hip and back machine the big one right it was the first one oh yeah and, they had, they had, and you always got trained by a trainer it was one-on-one yeah it was limited rest and i remember like going through there just blown out and at the end you're just like i might have threw up I, I can't remember back then but they would give us like an orange juice like a bottled orange juice. And it was the, it was, it was like liquid gold. It was the greatest thing <laughs> ever. Just as it touches your lips, you're just like, <laughs> and they would beat the dog out of you. But you know what? I, I kind of, I kind of liked it. Like I kind of fell in love with it actually. And that's kind of, well, that was, that was one of my influences was that, that high intensity old school training. Yeah. I mean, if you believe that it develops toughness, I mean, which I do, I mean, you know, you're going to make a part of the program. That, that that doesn't mean that you're not going to lift free weights. I mean, I you know I had I had a Nautilus club in Tennessee for a while, and I also had a powerlifting team, and that's when I was powerlifting. So we would we would powerlift. You know, we we do our free weight stuff, but then we'd always use Nautilus as a supplement, and we'd do one set to failure and go through. You know, and on Saturday we'd come in and try to murder each other. Yeah, 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 yep. So it was like we had think about the hardest type of progression we possibly could through the Nautilus equipment. We had Force reps, negative only the whole nine yards. Oh, just complete torture. We had, so on Merchant, Dust Avenue and, and 8th Street in Ambridge, there was the VFW. Friday fish fries, you know, the whole deal. In the basement was a old school powerlifting olympic lifting gym and they were you know they they won the 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 state meet in masters like 40 years and above for years and years and years and years so i learned the free weight stuff in that yeah. basement of the vfw they you'd pay like 25 bucks a month 
they would literally give you a key, you know, to get in and you could go anytime you want. And so you had that and then you had this Nautilus, like you said, it was a great mix. Like I learned that at a young age, like just, you know, squatting and cleaning and deadlifting and benching, and then going down here and just getting wiped out, you know, in a 20 minute workout. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's critics out there both both ways, you know, and also while I'm thinking about it, you know, I don't know if you've ever been on Route 19, but Route 19 had a place called Red Bull Inn and oh, still yeah. work out in the bottom of Red Bull Inn. Yep. Red Bull Inn. Yep. So uh, also had some good steak there. <laughs> prime rib, too. They had big, big time prime rib. So, uh, you know, going back to that, you know, we're looking at Penn State with Dan Riley. Michigan, of course, uh, Michigan State, uh, you know, Ken Manny, I would go to, you've been to those conferences before where to, where to hit guys would get up and start arguing. Other guy, the freeway guys would get up. It'd be a big, like, if somebody's going to get in a fight any moment, it seemed like, you know, like Manny would be up there losing his mind. And like, I, I was very entertained by that. I couldn't wait to listen to that, those debates. About oh, my God. Hey, that, those things used to be heated now. Oh, yeah. Like they would be like research study after research study back and forth. And right. you can't do that. It's too hard. What are you doing? Back and forth. My God. That's when I first well, got into business. I, I was yeah. I was confused. You know, you know, L, L. Johnson being one of my mentors was able to because he did a hybrid. We did you know, we did everything like like you did as well. But, yeah. you know, when I went to Cincinnati, I'm still learning. And I would go to these conferences. They had me confused. Yeah. Then I would go to NSCA. I'm like, okay. Then I go back to this one. Like, it was hard to kind of navigate through everything. Yeah, man. I just try to use it all, you know. <laughs> That's what I did. That's I what I ended up doing. What I did when I, yeah. you know, where I came from, just do a boat, do it all. Yeah, and then when uh, I don't know, did Chet Furman leave Penn State around '92? I'm trying to think. When did when did Cower he left when Cower became the head coach at the Steelers? Because I, I couldn't remember if it was him that left, but I I went up and interviewed with Paterno. Uh because we we were just eleven and one coming off eleven to one season and uh <clears throat> somebody got me an interview with Paterno and I went up there and I went through the weight room. It was nothing but machines. That was it. And they were wall to wall, back to back. So it was me. Paterno and his trainer, that's the only people who are in the interview. And I said, Coach, I can't lie to you, man. I'm, I'm a freeway guy. So I love the machines in there, but I got to – I'd have to make a change. I mean, I, I knew I wasn't going to get the job, but but that's that's way back when, you know. Of course, now everything's come full circle. Everybody's got racks and platforms no matter where you go. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Everybody. Yep. That's the whole deal. So, anyway, I just want to mention that uh, that hit training – and, uh, you know, uh, the other thing that, that I really enjoyed back, back in the day was we had longer training cycles without uh, all the discretionary weeks and everything. It just seemed like, I mean, I read Steve Logan would give me the guys, you know, who were red shirt, and I, I'd have those guys for like 16 weeks. I'd train them. I, sometimes I'd train them right before practice. He'd let me train them for like an hour and a half. With six days, I had them on a six-day program, six-day split. And uh, so uh, I love that stuff. But then, you know, everything has changed so much since then. But uh, 
and we'll get to that. But I want to go ahead and talk about your career a little bit. Uh, when you uh, you were at Cincinnati, when I was at ECU, of course, and that's how we yes. got to know each other a little bit. And uh, you know, the one guy I really remember. You remember Tim Rose? Yeah, our defense coordinator. Yeah. So, and then, and of course, he was our coordinator. And uh, I, you know, we had some knockdown dragouts, but I, I remember coming up to Cincinnati that one time, and uh, and that defense was. I mean, he had them playing aggressively. I mean, they were physical. Yeah, that was good. That was good defense. That's probably one of the reasons we ended up hiring Steve Logan. Ended up hiring him. But uh, anything you want to talk about with your with your uh, experience in Cincinnati? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, thinking back, you know, I got the job. I was twenty five years old. I had no business being the head strength coach at Cincinnati. I just so happened to be at West Virginia prior with Al, and just coming off of that championship or playing for the yeah. championship um, against Notre Dame back in the day. Uh, there was a couple good connections. I got the job, you know, here's, they gave me the keys, literally gave me the keys and said, go get them. There was 20 sports, 450 athletes, myself and a GA. That was it. The GA had class from one to six. So he was out. So it was me. It was, it was a one man show from, you know, 5.30 in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. I started that job at 238 pounds. Wow. I, I, six months later, I was 193. I had never sit and, I, I had never sat down to eat lunch for the first year in that job. And I was just so excited. Yeah. I didn't care. I, I, I just, I was running on just energy and, you know, adrenaline and just excitement. But you, you kind of yeah. like you kind of learned about yourself, man. Like, just learn how to train guys in bigger groups, learning how to train right. different squad, different teams, um, big time basketball, big time football. You know, learning a lot, like bringing some of the things that I learned at West Virginia to Cincinnati, like the old county fair workouts for our running program and the yeah. old speed groups. Um, I just told somebody the other day, you know, I, I was with John Harbaugh for eight years. Um, mm. And John Harbaugh, um, myself, and Mr. Lauderber, I can't remember his first name, but he was he used to be the head coach at Toledo, and he was an NFL scout. So one of these days, I forget what day it was, maybe the – maybe, I don't know, the second year we started talking about speed training. And I, I kind of knew what you were doing back then um, with the McNair yeah. stuff. We yeah. came up with this, we called it speed groups, where we would basically race. We would go through the drills and do all that stuff and get ready to run. And we would run, you know, 10s and 15s and 20s and 25s and race. And we would move guys up from one group to the next group. And it was so competitive. The guys got so fast and they got, uh, you know, they got so much better in sprinting and, and running and just everything. And we yeah. kind of developed that based off of the, you know, this, this, the system that we had. Um, so that was my primitive speed training was we just ran fast. And it's funny, like 30 years later, I know you yeah, got drills exactly. and stuff, but at the end of the day, you got to run fast, got to run fast. So it was yeah. really, it was a really great experience for me to figure out like who I was as a coach, what was right. beneficial, where, you know, injury prevention to development because East Carolina was like Cincinnati. You would get six foot, three and a half, 192 pound defensive ends. I, you know, go get them. 
Well, you yeah. can't play defensive end 192 pounds. So you had to learn in nutrition and eating and training. I, we weren't on a six-day program with our um, with our walk-on or our uh, uh, developmental guys. We I think we did five days a week. I did train them on Saturdays on game days because um, I didn't travel the first year. They said, "No, you got you got There's too much. You can't travel with football." So my first year in 1990, I didn't travel. So I was right. training those guys. I don't know how East Carolina was. We had 20 sports, but I had I had 21 sports because we had we had 45 prop 48 guys. I don't wow. know if I don't know if our young coaches wow. know what prop 48 guys are. Well, we had our share at ECU for sure. We had 48 because back then Cincinnati was it had like it was weird. It had like a junior college within the university. So all you needed was a GED and you're in school. Now you're not eligible NCAA rules. So I would, I would have these guys, I would have like maybe 40, 45 to 48 guys, 50 guys, you know, 75% of them had their GED. That was it. Right. They're, try, they're trying to play major college football. So yeah. I don't want to say I use those guys as guinea pigs cause that's not fair, but you kind of learned a lot about training through that group because some of those guys, you know, I mean, 10 guys would make it through the year because the other guys would flunk out of school. Right. So that's changed. So, yeah, I just thought, yeah. I just think you learned so much about yourself back then because you had time. You, you, there was nobody else. There wasn't, sometimes it's better to do things by yourself. Well, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, I could tell some stories about that too, but I mean, uh, the one thing I'll tell you with regard to what you were speaking of, uh, once I learned that there was a difference between, you know, there's a big difference between max velocity and then acceleration mechanics, for instance. Uh, this is after I had been studying speed for a while. You know, when I was in Carolina, every Friday, I would group the guys. You might have four or five guys in the same group that had the same, uh, you know, the same 40 times whatever, you try to match them up. And I had all the video guys out there, and I had multi-starts. So you're laying on your stomach, you're laying on your back, you're, you know, you're one knee down, two knees down, facing the other way, any kind of start I could possibly think of. And I'd hit the whistle, and basically the, the video guys would have, first they'd, we'd run 10s, and I had about a dozen different positions. We'd run 10s, and then we'd run 20s with a dozen different positions. I was talking to Boo about this concept. He loves it because, you know, he really likes coming from different positions, mixing it up. He calls it scramble. He puts it in the middle of a lot of his workouts. He just, you know, they'll be doing some exercise and he'll hit a whistle and they got to scramble and sprint 10 yards, I love uh, it. yards, whatever. But uh, those guys would compete. And of course, we'd make a big deal about it. You know, who won, whether we give them shirts or whatever. <laughs> But on Monday, we'd post that information of who won each group. And, of course, if you jumped, you were out. Out. You know, you're out right away. So uh, coming from all those different positions from a low position, I think, helps to develop strength as well. Uh, you know, because the lower you are, the stronger you got to be to come out of there. And that's why, uh, you know, strong track athletes come out of a stance and start out, you know, come out of, a, out of blocks and they're going to drag that foot. But not everybody can drag that toe. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, uh, but um, 
but yeah, they, uh, that really, when you're talking about that really put me in mind of that because I thought that was so valuable. And I think that's valuable for any program now, like on a Friday before the weekend, get that competition going. So, uh, but uh, let's go ahead back to your career and talk about uh, Notre Dame. You know, of course, I'm envious of that. I'm Irish, man. I would have done anything at Notre Dame. But, uh, you know, the uh, we played at Notre Dame, which was great, even though we lost. But then when they came to Carolina, we beat them. And so that was really special for me to beat, beat Notre Dame at Carolina, of course. But I yeah. talked a bit about that experience. That was a great experience. Um you know, again, when you grow up in Pennsylvania, there's there's only three schools that you love growing up. It's either Pitt, Penn State, or Notre Dame. Yeah. And being a being a Catholic, I went <laughs> oh, into yeah. Pitt. I went into Penn State. I was Notre Dame. My bedroom was, you know, the old pennants hanging posters. Yeah. I knew everybody on the team. You know, I just it was no because you used to watch the highlights on Sunday morning. Yeah. You know, back when TV, you know, it ain't like it is now. I just fell in love with Notre Dame, fell in love with the gold helmets. I, that was my dream school. And then here's me getting an opportunity to go there um, relatively at a young age. I think I was 33 or 34. Um, and it was a whole different animal, like just the tra- right. tradition and expectations and how many staff members and just, you know, everything that goes with Notre Dame football it was a great experience. I learned so much. I was able to be a part of some of the discussions of, you know, you know, with the athletic trainers and the PTs and we used to call it the athletic performance team, which I still do now at a a whole different level. But I learned that at Notre Dame, Um, you know, just everything, everything about health and safety. We had great, uh, great doctors there and they would be involved in, you know, you didn't have to present your training philosophy or methodology, but, you know, they would be around and ask questions and, you know, just, supporting they just wanted to support you and it was great it was awesome i never forget my first game there um so the team well michigan team up north uh they had just won the national championship so that would have been 1997 i st- i got there in 98 we had a veteran team and you know that was back when the uh all the strongman stuff was was going strong with tire flips and pushing vans and i had I had like these old rusty vans. Guys were pushing, flipping tires, and doing a lot of a lot of the <laughs> yeah. strongman stuff. It was awesome, and those kids never seen it before, and they bought in so good uh, and so well. And I'm just like, man, this is great. Veteran team. So, anyways, we're playing we're playing Michigan at Notre Dame. This is my, you know, again, Cincinnati is, you know, you're at Conference USA. It's it's a power, you know, group of five, whatever back then, if you want to call it that. The, the media coverage was not as big. You go to Notre Dame, it's the top. I mean, that's when the internet started coming out. So all the little websites and all the message boards. And so anyways, all this stuff is kind of happening in 98 playing Michigan first half. They're beating us 19 to six and it's not, it's not looking good. We can't stop them. We're not running a ball. We look tired. I'm like, I go to my assistant, Aaron Hillman. I'm like, and this ain't starting. This ain't this ain't going well. Uh oh. What do you think? And for some reason, the way we trained the kids that that summer, I had taken them to the uh, the Michigan Dunes off of Lake Michigan, which is about thirty miles outside of Notre Dame, and we ran the dunes and 
the sand. And we were doing a bunch of stuff all summer that was new. And there was so much media coverage around it. Um, I think I was in Sports Illustrated one one time in that summer. I'm like, oh, geez, there was so much building up. So now it's 19 to 6 at halftime. And I'm like, oh, this ain't looking good. So anyways, rally at halftime, get back on the field. And we, we ended up beating them 34, 36 to 19. And it was, it was one of them, like, we would run the ball 10, 13, 14, 15 straight times. So it was a big deal. Um, yeah. You can imagine after that game with all the media hype of the new strength program and I got the game ball. I'm like, you know, it's my dream school. It's awesome. All the, all the websites and all the message boards. This is the coach. Why, you know, it's the coach of the year. What are we doing? It was awesome. I'm like, okay, all right. You know, we're, we all have egos. We're like, this is good. Next game, six days later, we play at Michigan State. They beat us 52 to seven. <laughs> now, it, well, uh, you can imagine 180. They don't know what they're doing over there. These strength, this strength program. Where'd we get this guy from? So I was like, that was the first time I got, uh oh, here we go. Just to, you know, all the expectations and the fans. And so that was my first kind of experience at Notre Dame. It's a great place, great institution. Yeah. Got great kids. I mean, everybody's so highly educated coming in. And, you know, it was, it was harder to train. It wasn't harder, but the kids had such a training background from their personal trainers back then. Yeah. You had a kind of, there was a lot of explaining the why to where at Cincinnati, oh, yeah. the, the athletes we got, it was like, they'd run through a wall and they wouldn't even ask a question. Yeah. So that was a little different, but it was a good experience because I had a, I had a, I explain and teach the kids why this is why we're doing yeah. it. This is what it's doing. This is what you need to do. This is, so it was a great experience. Yeah. And then going to Florida, I guess uh, you and urban is, is, did I read that you guys had been GAs together at OSU? We were. Okay. We were, but, but kind of lost touch. We uh, yeah. reconnected when I was at Cincinnati. His sister, Gigi, was uh, was a professor there. She's a provost. Um, and he would come recruiting when he was at Colorado State. And he would just come down to weight room and just – because he graduated from Cincinnati. He would come down and watch. Like, yeah. he'd be standing there for – guy coming to weight room, start watching. I'm like – I was by myself. I can't, like, stop training and go over, hey, how you doing? I just let him there. He, I didn't even say hi a couple of days. He'd come back the next day. About three days, he's still standing on the corner. I said, I better go say hi to this guy. And I'm like, I think that's I think that's Urban. Literally, I didn't even know it was. So we kind of reconnected there and, uh, you know, uh, kept in touch. He got he was at Notre Dame as a yeah. wide receiver coach. And then when he left to go BG, Utah, Florida, and I got the opportunity to go down with him, Florida. And it was really good because the staff that he had brought together was a lot of the staff that we had at Notre Dame. So I knew – a lot of our coaches. My wife was very familiar with the with the wives, which is big, as you know. The kids knew the kids, so it was it was uh, it was easy to you know pack up the U-Haul and head down south. Yeah, I'll never forget you. UNC went up to Utah that year, and uh, you know, they were running that option where you could pitch it forward or backward. I never saw anything like that. So I was like, man, <laughs> right here's crazy. <laughs> I know it, yeah, I know yeah, yeah, great offense. Yeah, so. Uh, Heck, I told we told my uh, 
you know, you, back then the kids were in elementary school, so you have to sit them down and, you know, say we're moving. My wife or my daughter, you know, she was a little emotional, which you could imagine. And my son's like, Dad, he's like, he's like, I like that, I like that Urban Meyer. He, he's he's aggressive, fourth down, he's going for it. He, he yeah. don't care, man. I go, yep. Yeah. He's like, let's go. So, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I know that you, uh, I know you hung your hat on a lot of competitive scenarios uh, and, uh, you know, competition within the team. And I remember, I think, reading something where uh, I think it was maybe Tebow had been fighting somebody over a towel for an extended period of time all over the facility. Is that a true story? Or tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, there, there's a, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, stories to be told about that experience, which was awesome. Um, you know, <laughs> kids were so competitive. It was such a competitive environment. Um, not not the other schools weren't. It was just different. Um, yeah, and I think there was a couple there was a couple issues with Tim. Just you know, Tim was one of those athletes that you just can't explain them. They just they're so competitive and they'll fight to the end. And, you know, he almost thought he was from Pittsburgh, you know, the way he fought and the way he just kept grinding. And um, I think what you're talking about, there, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of stories about Tim, but there was a store, there was a, uh, we had a competitive drill one-on-one tug of war uh, with Cam Newton at the time. Okay. Cam, Newton, Cam Newton beats him. Like Tim Tebow don't lose, beats him. It starts starts talking smack to him, and it, it got it got ugly because they were going back and forth at each other, and that was like a month, two month, three month competition every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was something. That's awesome. It, it was. I mean, we'd have fights. I'd have fights. There'd be fights every day, like literally fist fights every day. You had like, coach, coach, there's a fight in the locker room. Like after a while, we're just like they'll figure it out. Like they'll they'd be fighting each other, and because it got so competitive, and they would talk smack, and you know, you'd be like, "Hey, get a coach in there, make sure they don't do anything." And then they, ten minutes later, they're walking out together, laughing and eating eating dinner together and hanging out. And then the next day, competing again, want to kill each other and go at their. Th- I mean, just it was it was wild. And then you know, after that, they get dressed, shower, and come back out and. One player told me, Coach, Coach Mick, listen, man, the locker room's our, our space. We got it. You're good. You don't need to come in. You tell the coach they don't need to come in here. We got it. And they would they would fix a lot of lot of lot of team stuff in that locker room. I don't know what they did. You could yeah. hear a lot of rumblings. Yeah. You could hear stuff getting turned over and knocked over, but they kind of handled it, which you know, great teams and great programs handle it from their leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I had two guys fighting inside a power rack one time. And, uh, you know, a few of those things that happened. One guy stuffed another guy under a bench one time. I said, okay, I'm tired of this. So I went and got some cuckle sticks from the Marines. And I went 30-second bouts in the locker room with helmets on, mouthpieces, gloves, the whole nine yards with cuckle sticks. But I did not realize those cuckle sticks were that heavy. Yeah. So after a few bouts of that, I, I cut it out, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Plus, I we- mean, you – you couldn't even think about doing that nowadays. No, course. God, no. Yeah, we, you know, yeah. 
when in, in August, when that Swamp Kings came out, the little documentary, you know, our players were watching it and they were like jacked up some of the stuff the kids were saying and players were saying. Uh, we used to do the, you know, the wrestling where one guy would lay down on his stomach and the other guy would kind of get on top and the object yeah. was for the guy yeah. on the bottom to get to the end of the mat. And it was supposed to be stay down or like in a like in a snake roll or stay down right. like in all fours. But it turned into like, no rules, whatever it took. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, it was bloody and nasty. And, and we were, we, you know, in Florida, there was wrestling wasn't as big as it is in the Midwest. So we couldn't find wrestling mats. We had to get the old six by eight gymnastics mats and yeah. tape them. And as soon as big guys start rolling on the mats, they, they break apart. So literally they were doing these mat drills on the basketball court and you could hear just skin ripping just marks everywhere. Oh my God. It was, it was, um, good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to just talking about these types of things, those, I got to mention those two guys I had fighting in the locker room before that Cincinnati game. Uh, <laughs> I just brought two guys in from the street. Of course they were fighters, but that, that was like, they were MMA, but they didn't know they were MMA. You know? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, Steve Logan walked in the locker room. I had two guys fight three rounds. He about, you know, he about passed out, but. That was the year. That was the year after we. Uh, that was the year after we beat you guys up at uh, Nippert. Okay. Because yeah, I was I like, and you guys had a good team that year. It wasn't your the, the, your big time year. I don't think. I think it was after that. But you guys had a good year. But you know, we're like, all right, we felt confident, and then you guys came out and just slapped us around the field, and then. You know, you didn't tell me the story till about ten or fifteen years later. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's probably what it was. You know, people forget the co- the the definition of a coach is to motivate and inspire the competitive human spirit. Well, you did that by bringing those two those two fighters in there because they were they were motivated. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Good yeah. memories. All right, so I want to go ahead and get into the art of coaching here, and you know, we got. 10 or 15 more minutes here. Basically, uh, you know, I, I thought that in our career, we had a, an opportunity, great opportunity to, to develop the art of coaching because we stood on our feet all day observing people. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes that I had to correct over the years, but it was a great learning experience because I thought it helped me get better. But just looking at guys and being able to develop an eye for speed and movement and, and mobility and fast switch qualities and power that was specific to football and, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and also character, of course. But uh, I guess my question is with the NIL and the portal and, uh, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts here as far as, now, what's the biggest challenge now for a young strength coach breaking in, trying to learn how to be the best strength coach? Uh, uh, where, where those things are concerned, is, do you still have an opportunity to gain that advantage in relationship to the art of coaching? Yeah, Coach, that, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned for the future of our profession that we both chose. Um you know, I got in this to make an impact, to instill, uh, you know, instill a work ethic and a toughness through strength and conditioning and speed training and the things that we development. Development is 
what I love, physical development, yeah. emotional development, spiritual development, mental development. And to develop someone, there has to be a strong culture. Like it's got to be kind of driven and it's got to be standing on core values. If you go to ask some young strength coaches now what their core values are, there'd be a lot of them that couldn't answer the question. Like, yeah. what are you talking about, coach? I'm, I'm a, you know, we conjugate pro. No, no, no. I'm not talking about methods. I'm talking about culture and the art of coaching from a cultural standpoint. And then, you know, now you're bringing, you know, we just had, we just had 16 mid-year freshmen show up January 8th. And we, we brought in seven transfers. Some got there. Some got here two weeks ago. Some got here a week ago. We had two guys got here Monday. We're already in week two. So now you got to make sure that they fit the culture of your program, the football program, the culture of the athletic department. And yeah. then you got to kind of figure out where they're at physically. You know, you can't, like you just, it's, it's so hard and you have to do things so fast. Now the 16 week programs are over. Oh yeah. And it's now, it's now eight weeks. Well, you got these transfers. It's now six weeks because we have what's called a transition period, transitional athletes. Yeah. We assume that they haven't done anything. Now, some of our high-end transfers, we know they've done some because they've come, they've come from great programs. They played the game of football at a high level, but we still have to ooze them and the progressions are slower. And you're trying to sync this all up, you know, sync it all up so they're ready to participate in spring football. And I'm just thinking that's a great I, I thought the other day, like my young younger strength coaches, they're just they're following the workout plan. And I'm like, do they have the EQ, I guess, not the IQ, but the EQ, the emotional intelligence to yeah. figure out what these athletes need from a physical standpoint, from a training standpoint? You know, some guys come from programs, they don't do the same lifts that you do. Right. So then you're like, now you back them up. You've got to teach them and train them to do what you want them to do. You know, that that's just the transfer portal. And then you you could put two years into a player and he walks out the door. So it's kind of like, okay, now how much time can you put into guys that may transfer as opposed yeah. to how much time and energy you could put into guys that you know will not transfer and then there's that, I mean, I feel like crap when I don't, when I'm not training some of the, you know, newer players, because I don't know if they're going to be here in a year and a half, two years, you only have so much energy and time. Like, what do you do? So you kind of, you got like four or five different programs going on in your program, right? Because of where they're at physically, where they're at from their age, you know, age and fitness levels and those type things. That's just a portal. Now you have this other entity, which is NIL. Yep. Now you guys are, you know, they're making more than the coaches. Yeah. You know, back, you know, it's funny. Six years ago, you know, they would, you know, the public universities will publish your salary. So my salary gets published maybe eight years ago or whatever. Players are like, coach, man, let me hold some. I'm like, what? They're like, let me hold some. Like we talk about, man, hook me up a little bit. Now it's the other way around. I'm like, hey, 
hey, let me hold that, oh, yeah. hold that car we got out there. <laughs> let me take a spin. Yeah. The funny thing is, at least here, I don't know the other universities I could imagine, but here, Coach Day has developed such a strong culture. Gene Smith, our athletic director, has who's now moving on here at the end of June, has developed such a strong culture. You couldn't even tell. Like our, Some of these kids are making six digits. Some are making seven digits. Yeah. And you couldn't even tell. It hasn't changed the kid. I just remember where you had to like sneak around to have some kids at your house for dinner. You had to fill out paperwork. And I mean, you couldn't give anybody a, a dime. It's the other way around now. Yeah, exactly. Taking coaches to their houses to take them out to dinner. Cause yeah, it's, um, it's great. Obviously yeah. that it's been coming, you know, name, image, and yeah. likeness has been heading down our, our way for a while. I just think everything happened the same time. Got out of COVID. Remember now, we got out of COVID. Hey, I, I had a guy, I had a, I had a player that the first in-person class he's ever taken in the la- ever in college was last semester. This semester. Wow. It was raining one day. He calls up the academic people. He's like, hey, so-and-so, do we still have class? It's raining out. I'm like, <laughs> So you got this COVID, these kids, I call them the COVID babies, coming off of the COVID stuff. You yep. got the transfer portal, and then you got NIL all wrapped into one. Like, it, it just all came at once. And to navigate through that as a head coach, to navigate through as the you know administrators, to navigate through it at our level in the weeds, like, yeah, you just got to, I don't know. I, I, I'm concerned. I'm I'm overly concerned for the, uh, you know, the uh, young strength coaches out there just making those emotional and intelligent decisions based on, you know, what's out there. Gotcha. Well, hey man, I want to go through technology real quick, and uh, yeah. I'm just going to ask you. Let's go first. Force plates. Uh, what's your favorite force plates? And yeah, we use what, the uh, what do they do for you that you value. Uh, that you think really helps your program? Uh, what, what's your opinion? Um, great question. We use the Hawkins force plate. Yeah. Um, and I believe it, it gives us another tool to look at imbalances, to look at um, uh, things that need enhanced. Um, we use it in a pre-testing situation. We use it periodically to test progress. Um, during the season, we use it to... Uh, look at fatigue and monitor fatigue through the force plate jumps. So it's kind of become like a staple in your program. It just has. And um, we have a sports science department and we have advisors. Dr. Kramer is one of my senior advisors, which I know you're fond of. Um, And he helps us. He gives us insight of, you know, what they're seeing on these force plates. Um, I've learned so much. Um, I just try to hire people that, you know, kind of understand it a little bit better than I have. And um, I've really, you know, we've really used it a great deal here in the last three, four years. So basically it's, it's giving you an indication who's got some twitch in it coming in the door and then how much twitch you're able to develop from that. Exactly. And it also, it'll also give you, um, you know, eccentric and concentric power. It'll, it'll measure which kind of the new thing we're looking at is breaking power eccentric breaking power yeah 
and that's kind of the injury prevention road. And, yep. um, yeah, that's, um, so we kind of use that and some rehab and some, um, weak link stuff that we call it. Yeah. Well, how about VBT? You know, of course, uh, yeah, I use Tendo units through my career quite a bit for different purposes, but, uh, uh, you know, what, what are you doing there? What, yeah. What- so, um, again, we used, you know, we used the Tendo units when, uh, VBT became popular and, um, now we have elite form, which is the, uh, yeah. you know, basically a computer, uh, camera, no, no wires or anything. It's simple. Um, and we're doing some sort of VBT training, uh, throughout every cycle. Um, uh, and the other thing too, is we're charting everything now and it's easy to do that in the elite form, anything at the rack, you just, even if you're not, you know, velocity based, even if you're just doing a basic military press. We literally, it's a great way to keep track of kind of what you're doing. Uh, but the VBT, uh, we'll cycle it. We'll um, undulating uh, wave periodization throughout the off season, throughout the season. Um, it's a great way to, you know, keep the guys, um, their power output without yeah. loading the bar up. Um, it's a safe way. And um, it's competitive too as well. So. Sure. We'll squat, bench, um, all of our all of our Olympic modification movements are, are done with it. Um, chains and bands, all that. You know, we're just a big old hybrid melting pot of training. I hear that. I've been there a little bit. Uh, how about the aura rings every athlete has? They do. Um, they have the opportunity to have it. Uh, we don't mandate it. We're not, you know, our athletic director doesn't want us to mandate just because of some privacy things, but it's a great way to uh, monitor your sleep habits, uh, recovery habits. It gives you so much information with respiration rate and deep sleep and uh, recovery tools and just different things. Um, The hardest thing is they're still 18, 19, 20 years old. I forgot to put it in. I forgot to plug it in. I forgot to put it on. So, you know, we just try to educate them the best we can to, to, because it's benefiting them. It's not, you know, we're not trying to spy on them. Like right. we're just trying to, you know, make sure that sleep that sleep is the number one number one recovery tool in the world. We just want to maintain and you know, understand how important it is. All right, GPS. GPS. Um, you know, nowadays everybody's using GPS. We use two. We're using the Zebra system that the NFL uses. Um, we got into it about eight years ago. NFL was using it. I never had changed. I just like to compare with the NFL. I like to compare all the different positions with uh, top end max velocity speed, uh, speed training, um, uh, load management from a acceleration, deceleration standpoint, from a yardage standpoint, uh, looking at different things. You know, you could tell just from the GPS, you know, how good a separator and a wide receiver is based on the, uh, the level of his deceleration um in a in a metric we also use catapult um so we kind of got two things going on but it gives us as much information as we can use and again i i lean on our sports scientists to help you know kind of navigate what does this mean um and i know a lot of strength coaches are out there trying to you know figure it out but you know it's um we're blessed to have these people around us. 
yeah, the, the performance team that you have up there, you know, I came up from the clinic was like, this like blew my mind. Of course, uh, you know, Bill Kramer's a guy that kind of got me into this thing, sent me out to see Mike Clark at Texas A&M. And, you know, I was kind of off to the races trying to get into the profession. And then Ronnie Jones with the Philadelphia Eagles, the guy that got, kind of got me into it at, at ECU. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, Bill Kramer has been, awesome you know for a lot of people i mean he's helped a ton of people and he's a great guy man great human being so i can't say enough about him yeah, so then about uh, uh very specifically over speed with sprint 1080 you know what do you find in there so uh with the 1080 sprint uh again it all basically what it is is a you know horizontal power development computer yeah measurement tool i mean it's um it, we use it right now um, in our off-season program profiling. So we have already tested all of our uh, incoming freshmen and the transfers. So once we get that information, we put them in a bucket based on what their needs are. And we got like our one bucket's fast, 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 power one, power two. Obviously, the guys that aren't strong enough to produce force, they're they're in the lowest group because just they're not strong enough yet. So. Yeah. Uh, based off of the, of the uh, data that we get um, and kind of where we want to put them in that bucket, then we'll put them in a bucket and then use how we're going to train them from a speed standpoint, from an acceleration standpoint, based on what bucket they are. Because, again, because fast, fast guys need different things than that the, the, the power, power one group. Yeah. Uh, so we're using it as a a profiling tool and then we'll also use it as a periodic tester and a training tool uh throughout our training cycle gotcha we use it a lot with um, our rehab so if guy coming off you know return to play yeah um, our uh, physical therapist will grab it and uh you know that's one of our kind of metrics for them to return to play making sure that they're producing the same force you know right leg to left leg and and uh, vice versa, based on what, what they're coming off of. Gotcha. Well, so I guess my next question is, you feel good about the financial investment. Uh, you feel like you control the technology. It doesn't control you. And uh, you feel like a lot of these things are a great benefit and will help uh, uh, help strength coaches in the future uh, to be more productive. I do. I do. I am, uh, I am 100%, 100% bought in to those being great tools in your program without, again, without taking away of hard, like training's hard and it's going to be hard and we don't apologize for it. Still has to be hard and it still has to be progressive and you still have to get under a bar and you still have to do the things that you have to do in the weight room. I just think these tools are great measuring sticks for you. Um, with the data and a lot of comparisons too, as well, to see where you're at. Yeah. I mean, NC state this year, I remember, you know, I was watching the games. Like, yeah. We got a linebacker around 23 miles an hour. I was like, Oh, that's pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, fast. So yeah, that's like, fast. Yeah. I was like, you know, I don't know what that is 40 time wise. Of course, that's what I relate to more, but uh, you, you know, what's funny coach. I, I don't even, I don't even test the 40 anymore. Yeah. I just max velo. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's that doesn't surprise me, you know, because I could see the the effectiveness here. 
But I guess my my last question for you is uh, if you had barbells and a place to run, how close could you come? How close can you come to success? You, the product, production you have now, how close could you come with just barbells and a place to run? I think uh, – I think with the experience I have now, I think you can come pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking I about mean, Mickey Brody. I, I could come pretty close. Yeah. And I, and I believe that about myself, you know, toward the end of my career and I'd get a lot of young strength coaches coming in. Hey coach, you need to buy this, me buy that. I was like, I don't have the money for it. And at the same time, I want to be on the floor. I want to, I want to be eyeballing people because I think I know intent. I think I know what's moving, what somebody's working hard. I think I know if somebody's in shape and I know if somebody's running fast. So, I mean, that was kind of it with me, but, uh, but I can I mean, definitely appreciate the technology as well. Yeah. I mean, you could probably look at someone doing a clean pull or a hand clean or a power clean and you could tell right. them exactly how fast it's moving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, tell, I mean, yeah. I could tell a guy running now that I have some of this technology, I could kind of tell how fast he's running just based off of got other guys running just all the guys you've seen and been able to, eyeball and look up and yeah and you get to know your people yep yep so yeah man i mean i'm, I'm going off of, i'm going off natural light here so you can see it's getting dark and uh, i don't <laughs> like want to what's going at, on down there man look like the grim reaper coming at you but uh <laughs> but yeah i didn't turn many lights on in my place here but uh, i got this big window but uh man thanks so much for coming on uh really appreciate it i appreciate you so much i'm gonna try to hit your clinic again and uh, so I'll need to get yeah. my information about that and see my man, Bill Jacobs, and yeah. a couple other now, folks there. Looking forward to it. it. We won't do the clinic this year. We'll do it next year, like every two years. Okay. But, gotcha. uh, yeah, you know you're welcome up here anytime. Uh, close friend. I appreciate all the all the stuff you've taught me over the years. And, <laughs> you know, seriously, just it's the way it is. I. You haven't texted me in a while. I kind of missed those, so we got to get back on our little text thread. Um, yeah, we'll get with it, man. But uh, thanks so much, and I'll be talking to you sometime soon. And this is Jeff Connors for Absolute Empowerment signing off. God bless, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Mick. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!